Wednesday, everyone. Welcome to the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their website, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call at 405-458-9699. Check out their line of natural medicine products. Uh, find out how you can benefit from those products. I'm a customer. Um, I, I absolutely love these people and what they do, and they do tremendous things within the community. And I, I just, I appreciate being associated with good people that have the best intentions. So again, check out their products, uh, give them a call and educate yourself on how their products can benefit your everyday life. Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City, abotanicalcompany.com or 405-458-9699. All right, we have monster news in the NBA. The Oklahoma City Thunder have finally hired a head coach. And it was from within, as expected. Mark Dagnalt is the next head coach for OKC Thunder Basketball. Uh, I've been saying since the beginning, as far as Billy Donovan moving on and identifying the next target, I thought it was going to be one of the guys that is currently within the organization. There were several names that had emerged as possible candidates, and, and I legitimately thought all of those guys had a chance. Uh, that was the toughest part for me, was evaluating which of those guys was the most equipped to maybe take on that role. Uh, but I, I did believe with, uh, with near certainty that somebody within the organization was going to get the head coaching position. That's what happens with Mark Dagnalt, who has spent five years with the Oklahoma City Blue, um, former GA, I think, uh, with, with uh, Florida under Billy Donovan. So the Billy Donovan-Mark Dagnalt relationship goes back a long way. And look, this always made sense for Sam Presti to hire somebody that understands Sam Presti's philosophy that understands the quote-unquote thunder way. There's not going to be a tough transition as far as, as just day-to-day -day operations, especially, um, again, considering just what this NBA season was, this quick start to start something new next year, uh, and, and you know maybe the financial aspect of this being different than it, it ever has been. So, uh, again, I, I just thought all the, the puzzle pieces fit together as far as it being somebody within the organization. So Mark Dagnalt is that guy. Uh, we also have NBA trade rumors floating around. Woj last night tweets that Chris Paul is currently in play with the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Phoenix Suns. So we're going to talk a lot about trade scenarios and what might actually be possible for the Thunder in terms of sending Chris Paul to the Phoenix Suns or anywhere else for that matter. So uh, fun podcast episode today as I welcome in today's guest on the Colby Daniels podcast. My guest is Mr. Aaron Davis. Aaron, what's happening today? How was the How was the weekend? How's the beginning of a new week? Weekend was good. Um, the week is actually going pretty good. I, as you can see, I am standing outside of the lawn of Chris Paul's nine hundred and fifty million dollar mansion because uh, I'm trying to uh, ha have a word with him and find out if he really wants to just go ahead and throw the rest of his career. Uh, down the drain and throw the towel in and give up on winning a championship because uh, it seems like that might happen. I was wondering what the hell your background was, and uh, wow, Chris Paul's living a nice life. Oh yeah, I mean he's a State Farm guy. Well, he splits the uh, he splits the mortgage with Cliff, but uh, yeah. So I mean, that's why he can afford that that palace. Exactly, because he's got the State Farm money, the NBA money. I mean that's just. That's going out money. It's the state yeah. farm money that buys you a house like this. Thirty-eight million. Who needs that? Come on. Definitely not the Thunder. They definitely don't need uh, thirty-eight million dollars. 
We got a lot to talk about, man. Uh, big NBA news today. Uh, last night, the rumor started circling that the the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Phoenix Suns were in trade talks. And look, so many times, I think, in the NBA rumor mill, you get these tweets from people that say so-and-so and so-and-so are having conversations and trade talks. And, you know, for the most part, my assumption is that's kind of always happening anyway. Like, teams are always having discussions about what they could do to make their teams better and all of that. But when I think it becomes a serious situation is usually when either Woj or Shams tweet something and then I'm like, okay, this is serious enough that, you know, it's gone beyond just maybe the the poking and prodding and, and seeing what might be available. So we're going to get to that in a moment. Chris Paul on the trading block, the Phoenix Suns potentially interested. We'll go over some trade scenarios and all that good stuff. But as we are getting ready to record this thing, uh, Woj drops a Woj bomb, which is perfect timing on this Wednesday in a week where Oklahoma has the week off. Oklahoma State has the week off. There is no Bedlam football this weekend. Even my Dallas Cowboys are off. Thunder News is much appreciated today, and Woj delivers in a big way. The OKC Thunder have hired a coach. He is Mark Dagnalt. Yay. I mean, they hired somebody. That's that's a positive. But, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a Thunder assistant. He was with Billy Donovan back at Florida when they won their titles. So uh, just kind of a guy that's really going to continue the philosophy of Billy Donovan. Um, they didn't they couldn't afford Billy to keep him in house, but they want to keep that mindset and the way that they uh, have an emphasis on developing these young dudes. And apparently uh, Mark is great. Uh, at developing young talent and communicating with the young guys. So, look, last year was uh, was a fun ride. It was a lot better than any of us expected. I went on record multiple times saying that that was the most fun Thunder team I had ever covered. Obviously, it only I've only covered like a, three or four Thunder teams, but last year was a lot of fun to watch. And I think a lot of Thunder fans uh, were excited to get back to watching fun basketball because the Russell Westbrook era to me was not fun. It was incredibly frustrating more than half the time. So with that being said, last year was fun. This year, it's not going to be fun. They're going to be terrible this year. And I think the front office is aware of that and they want to get a young coach uh, that they can mold in their own way, that they can uh, possibly, you know, he's not going to go speak out to the media and complain and bitch that he doesn't have the players that he wants to have to win games. He's just going to be happy to have, you know, Lou, Lou Dort and Shea uh, out there every night and he's going to coach them to 20 wins and they're just going to make the best of it. Yeah, I think a lot of us had the expectation a year ago that the 2019-2020 season was going to be about player development and you were going to dedicate minutes to guys that needed to get better and potentially dedicate game plans to that development. And, you know, I think a lot of us felt that way because we looked at the the Danilo Gallinari situation, we looked at the Chris Paul situation, and we thought there's a very good chance that one, if not both of those guys, ends up getting moved. You also look at the injury history with those two players, and you don't even know their their availability if you're just trying to forecast what you're going to watch in that season. So I think a lot of us felt like there was a good chance that one or both of those players either isn't playing because of injury, isn't playing because they've been moved, 
and the Thunder weren't going to be in a situation where they were trying to make a run at at you know whatever the goal was last season. And for the Thunder, you know, they got a big surprise when early on this team overachieved. They won a bunch of games they weren't supposed to win. And next thing you know, you find yourself in this great position as the trade deadline approaches where you you, you have a pretty good spot in the Western Conference standings. You're putting a pretty good product on the floor. The fan base is excited about the team they're watching every day. And you don't have to just move those guys for the sake of moving them. I still believe if Sam Presti had got the right offer for either one of those guys, or maybe somebody else on the roster, he was going to pull the trigger. But the right offer, in, in my opinion, never emerged. And it was easy for Sam Presti to just run run it through with the players that were in place and, and see how it ended up. And that's exactly what they did. I think Thunder fans, at the end of the day, were really proud of, of the team that they watched compete on a nightly basis. And now you get to this offseason... And once again, you're put in a situation where you're going to have to make some calls. And and even this year, I think it, it becomes a bigger factor to consider, I guess, the years to come, not just this season, but, but when you start considering what the future of this team is going to be because Billy Donovan moves on and, and you're also talking about the head coaching position as well. I, I've said this entire time, I thought the Thunder were going to stay in-house now, I, I didn't know whether it was going to be Mark Dagnalt or Keefe or maybe somebody else. I mean, there were multiple names thrown around as far as which in-house guy it could be. But uh, even yesterday on the podcast, I was asked, why haven't the Thunder named a head coach? And I was like, he's already there. Like, they're not in a rush. The guy that they want is already in-house. Maybe they're just trying to decide which of those guys they want uh, to name. But uh, they're going to name one of the dudes that, that has been around it just makes too much sense. Number one, they're not going to go get some big name, flashy guy. Who wants to come coach the Thunder without knowing what the foundation of this team is going to be from a player standpoint for the next years? Uh, you know, they've got a bunch of draft picks coming up. You kind of want to see where those land and what players they're able to get in in that department before you really see like these are the building block pieces for the next five years. That could certainly change very quickly. Um, the second part is I, I think teams in 2020 because of COVID and everything going on in the world, you have to be more financially aware of your situation than ever. So again, it doesn't make a lot of sense to go pay an established head coach a ton of money to come coach this Thunder team when you have a guy already on staff that knows Sam Presti, understands Sam Presti's philosophy, not just in basketball, but in day-to-day operations and how he wants somebody to carry themselves, his expectation of how the team carries themselves. So it just, again, it just made all the sense in the world that it was going to be somebody that's already familiar with the philosophy, familiar with the team, and then when you add the final piece of this, somebody that is about player development, there you have it, it's Mark Dagnall. Uh, Let me tell you how I picture this conversation in a sports bar going. Hey, uh, Jim, uh, who do you think the Thunder should hire as head coach? Uh, you know what, Dave? I think they should hire Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson He's a is damn always good the name. Coach. He's a damn good coach. He's been sitting there on the commentary booth. He, I mean, he, he set up the Warriors for their dynasty. They got, they got knocked out in the first round that one time with him as a head coach, but they were good. Steph Curry was young. Clay Thompson, they were ready. Uh, no, I, I think you pretty much hit the hit the nail on the head though, because and it makes sense why all the other teams are making hires, you know, throughout the. Uh, I guess like the last month, month and a half. Uh, I was going to say summer, but that wasn't an accurate statement to make. So 
uh, during the you know late summer, early fall hires. But it's good, yeah, because they I think they had a plan. As soon as Billy said, you know what, I'm done, I'm leaving, I'm going to go coach the crappy Chicago Bulls because uh, I'd rather live in Chicago and coach a crappy team than live in Oklahoma City and coach a crappy team. Whatever his motive was, uh, they knew, and I think that Sam Presti has had a plan since the beginning of last year, honestly. Like like you said, if they could have gotten an offer they can't refuse for Chris Paul or Danilo Gallinari, they would have absolutely pulled the trigger uh, because I think internally their teams are very aware of how good they are and know if they legitimately can contend. And when you looked at the West last year, there's no way the Thunder were going to contend for a title last year. So Presti absolutely was listening to every offer. And I think there was probably a conversation – uh, going back to the Chris Paul video, uh, and I tweeted about it when he when he tweeted it out right after they got knocked out of the playoffs. He recorded a video, and he was like, oh, I want to thank all the Thunder fans. I want to thank all my teammates and coaches. And I was like, he's gone. They're, like, this is a I'm leaving video message it fe- because – It felt like a goodbye. Right. When you, when you get off work on Friday, you don't tell all your, you know, your coworkers how much you love them if you're coming back in on Monday – Right, you just you go as you know normal business. It's not like uh, you know player A is making a video just because they got eliminated from the playoffs, and thanking all his coaches and teammates every year. He's gone, and I think that was probably a conversation that Presti had with Chris Paul last year when he brought him in. Is hey, look, uh, you know I'm gonna listen to trade offers this year. We can't figure anything out in year, and then COVID happened. Well, COVID happened after the trade deadline, so. It is what it is. They probably had a deal where if they couldn't get it done in year one, they were for sure going to trade him in the offseason uh, after he had been there a year and they've been able to work deals out. I think I, I think Chris Paul's definitely gone. It just makes too much sense to move him. Uh, good luck in Phoenix. If he goes to Phoenix, that sucks. Uh, I know that he's they're probably he's probably going to be put in a situation where he's probably going to have to decline his player option because he cannot say Phoenix isn't going to be ready to win a title in a year. I mean, they were undefeated in the bubble. That, you know, Maybe he's the missing they piece. were undefeated in the bubble. Look at look at how Chris Paul elevated this Thunder team this year, and I, I mean, I think it's yeah. safe to say that the the pieces around him in Phoenix next season will be better than the pieces in Oklahoma City. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, you go Devin Booker. He's a Devin Booker's a top 15 player in the league, maybe top 10 based on what we saw, uh, you know, from the short bubble season for Phoenix, but. The, the problem is, though, that Phoenix has a lot of money right now, which is why they are they can easily bring in the Chris Paul salary. Um, the problem is, though, the free agent class this year isn't that great. It's next year that the free agent class is stacked. And can you convince Chris Paul in 2021 and 2022 to take that player option to stay in Phoenix on the, you know, the promise that you might sign a big-name free agent? Because Chris Paul, as great as he is, he's just – he can't, I don't know that Devin Booker can be that number one piece. Uh, I know Chris Paul can't be that number one piece at this point. So I think that they need they would need somebody else, especially if uh, Kawhi and I say PG, but PG wasn't like he was that great last year. But you know, if you have to deal with Kawhi and PG and LeBron and AD in the West, you need more than Devin Booker and Chris Paul. And I just I think that Chris Paul knows that. Yeah, I, look, I, I think it would be unfair to say that Booker can't be that guy. Understanding that with Chris Paul on the floor, you can't pay nearly as much attention to just Devin Booker. I mean, it, it makes his job considerably easier uh, to, to execute, you know, down the stretch of games. And, and I, I definitely think he could be that guy. We'll see. Um, 
you know, for Chris Paul, here's here's how I imagine the situation. And I talked about this last year when the trade happened. I think he got to Oklahoma City, and Presty and and Chris Paul sat down and they had this this meeting, and 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 also let's let's all understand we're we're operating under the assumption that Sam Presty is a player's GM, and he is known to be a player's GM, and he wants to keep that intact. So I'm I'm operating under that assumption. So they start this conversation with, look, Chris, we're happy to have you. You know, we're glad to have you back in Oklahoma City. Uh, I think this is a great opportunity for this young team that we have in place to learn from a future Hall of Famer and a veteran, and we want you to be the leader. If you will give us that leadership mentality and give us everything you have on a nightly basis, we're going to do everything we can to put you in a winning situation. You have a limited window right now while you're at the end of your career, 35 years old, to go win a championship. And if you can help raise your stock and be the team player, because that was a big criticism of Chris Paul as well, that he wasn't a team player coming in. If you can be a team player, you can be a leader for these guys, you can help develop this young talent. You do that for us, and we're going to do everything we can to get some value for you, but put you in a winning position. And like I said, the way that the season ended up taking place last year, I don't think the right offer ever emerged, and Sam Presti was able to just say, we're going to run it the rest of the way through this season, and then we'll reevaluate next year. That's what they're doing now, and I think you look at this situation, and he's like, yeah, we're going to find a landing spot for you with somebody that might be a player away from legitimately making a run. I don't know that the Phoenix Suns are a player away from legitimately making a run, but I certainly think you add Chris Paul to that mix and they become a really interesting, dangerous team. Are they better than the Lakers? I don't think so. But are they interesting? Yeah, I think they're really interesting. So, uh, again, I think Chris Paul and Sam Presti came to an agreement that if Chris Paul were to just take on that leadership role and do everything he could to help develop the young players on this Oklahoma City roster. In exchange, Sam Presti was going to do everything in his power to put him in a good situation. And I think that's where we are right now with this Phoenix Suns situation. Do you do you think that the stigma that Chris Paul had uh, placed upon him, I guess, coming into last season, that he he's a tough guy to play with, do you think that he, was, he got that because he had to play with guys like James Harden and Blake Griffin? Or do you think it's because... Uh, and when I say guys like Blake Griffin and James Harden, guys that kind of uh, come off a little lackadaisical. Like Chris Paul's very intense and very uh, blue collar in the way that he approaches basketball. And those guys, especially you know younger Blake Griffin and uh, James Harden, you know take some nights off, don't play you know play defense necessarily as hard as Chris would want them to. Or uh, do you think he was just a pain in the ass to play with, and he just needed to be the alpha male on a team? Well, I think Chris Paul is a natural leader, so I, I don't think that it's easy for him to take a second chair to anybody. Chris Paul is a traditional point guard, right? I mean, we, we say that all the time. He is a pass-first, make-everybody-around-him-better type of guy, and he's also, he has that quarterback mentality where even if, if he's not the guy that's putting up the big numbers, he wants to be in control of everything, and, and he wants to be the guy leading the charge. And I think with the Blake Griffin situation, and I'm not blaming anything on, on Chris Paul or Blake Griffin, but I think Chris Paul was the leader 
while Blake Griffin was the face of the organization and people understood Blake, you know, Blake Griffin was the guy on, on Sports Center every night. Blake Griffin was the guy that they were kind of building around. And so I think there just becomes this power struggle where you have one guy that is naturally a leader. I don't know, I don't know if Blake Griffin's a leader or not, but I, I think just kind of my impression of the two, Chris Paul seems like a more natural leader than Blake Griffin is, but Blake Griffin was the face of the organization. So it kind of creates this this weird dynamic. Same thing in Houston. Like James James Harden to me doesn't exude like leadership qualities. He just doesn't seem like that kind of guy. Chris Paul does. Again, but James Harden is the franchise player. James Harden is the guy you're building around. So once again, you have this weird dynamic where you have the face of an organization and maybe the best player within the organization. And then you have this other guy that is the leader and and the team captain, so to speak. So I think there, there are similar situations where obviously Chris Paul wants to be the leader. Obviously, he's in a situation where I think he he has more leadership skills than the other guy, but the other guy in both situations is the face of the franchise and is the piece that the organizations are building around. So I think naturally that just creates some sort of like clash. Uh, I'm glad you brought up James Harden as uh, the face of the franchise in Houston, which he absolutely is. But uh, there was a report uh, that Russell Westbrook and James Harden are both unhappy with the direction of the Houston Rockets. Is there any, I think James Harden, that there's 29 teams that if they could work out a deal, they would bring in James Harden. Yes. Is there an argument, though, that you could make for trading for Russell Westbrook at this point if you're an NBA team, front office? I mean, if you're the Knicks, why not? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess. If you were the Knicks, you wouldn't bring in Russell Westbrook? What do you have to lose? Nobody wants to watch the Knicks anyway. At least you're getting some interest in what the organization is doing. Now, I'm not saying you're bringing him in because you think he's going to all of a sudden turn you into a contender. That's not true at all. But the Knicks have zero star power. There is no reason on earth to tune into a Knicks game right now. Is there? I mean, is R.J. Barrett Barrett going to make you switch uh, the channel to the New York Knicks? No, I think outside of New York, you're right. There's no reason to watch the Knicks. I think the Knicks will draw... You know, attendance and ratings, local, you know, in New York, just fine, regardless of how good or bad they are. But I, I don't think you do it just because I think if you bring Russell Westbrook in, he's a complete progress stopper. That he's not going to make any of those young dudes better around him. He's just going to eat up a bunch of your your salary. Now, if it's like a one and done thing, then I think that's a little bit different. But at that point, what's why give up the assets? I, I think the only argument you could make for trading for Russell Westbrook, if you're an NBA team, is if. Uh, maybe like if you're a Miami team, but even then I don't think that he makes them any better. I don't think he, he makes any team any better in what they are trying to accomplish. I, I could see Sacramento bringing him in just because Sacramento is never good. So like, why not just try and bring in somebody to get some excitement going around your team. But I think teams like New York and uh, Chicago might make sense, but teams like New York yeah, Chicago and- makes sense. Yeah younger teams I think that they want to continue the slow trend of getting better and younger without spending a bunch of money on an older player and I just I don't know I think it's interesting because I think a couple of years ago that Russell Westbrook might would have been one of the easiest guys in the NBA to trade and now yeah, I, for sure. I don't think he is I think he's probably one of the tougher guys to trade 
Uh, I look forward to James Harden in Philadelphia, though. That should be should be fun basketball. I I don't think James Harden is moving. By the way, I, I think he stays in Houston, and they find some way to to move Russell Westbrook. But again, I, the Knicks don't have, I, I, in my opinion, at least, they don't have the pieces where you look at it and say, is Russell or is Russell Westbrook going to prevent us? or these guys that we have in place from becoming all-stars. I, I don't think those guys are all-stars anyway. Maybe, maybe R.J. Barrett becomes that, but, I mean, they just have a bunch of guys. Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not big on the overall potential of the... Like, I like Kevin Knox, but he's not an all-star player. He's a role player. Like, there's just nobody well, on he, that team that I think Russell Westbrook prevents from really achieving greatness. So why not? Well, I mean... He- you have to look at it too from this perspective though that if you bring in Russell Westbrook say he might you know give you an extra 8 wins oh which he probably will takes yeah. you out of where which takes you out of where you want to be in the lottery and like i said it's it, a team like that i think it's a lose lose situation cuz he might make you slightly better That's but true. do you want to be slightly better probably not well he's going to make you better in the regular season there's no question but well, when, when you start playing in the playoffs obviously teams understand his shortcomings and scheme around that and there you go good good regular season player bad playoff player yeah i hell if he could just not shoot three pointers could be a great playoff player too but you know we saw it at houston he uh couldn't help himself you sound bitter the houston rocket fan sounds bitter go figure (laughs) i'm not bitter i would i'm not i'm fine i'm fine okay okay All right, talk to me about the Phoenix Suns. Uh, you've looked at their roster. I got on the NBA trade machine this morning, um, you know, just for fun. And I'll throw you out uh, something that I put together, mostly because I just wanted to gauge, like, where I thought Thunder fans were with a Chris Paul trade and what you're getting back. But you've looked at the Phoenix Suns roster. What is appealing to you if you're Sam Presti? Uh, well, first off, you've got to find some salaries that match and it can make this deal work. And Phoenix has no money on the books right now. So you're basically, you're stuck with Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre. I I just don't see any other package unless you want to like bring in seven guys that are making the minimum, which is completely pointless because the Thunder need to bring in guys that they can flip. And so I, I think realistically, you need to get it's going to be Rubio and Kelly Oubre and maybe a couple of draft picks yeah. probably you know maybe a couple of seconds or you know a first seven years down the road or whatever it might be but it's going to have to be a package that includes Oubre and Rubio and I think that's probably the best move because then you can flip either one of them or not or both you know you probably ride them out until the trade deadline and try and move them in February or whenever the trade deadline is going to be this year. It may be in March or something like that with the season starting in December. But uh, I think it has to be centered around those two guys because there's really just nobody else. There's nobody else on the roster that you would even want to bring in. They're not going to give up DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker. So you're stuck with those two guys. Oh, uh, that reminds me. Also bring in campaign. Just campaign. He's uh, he is on the Phoenix Suns roster. He's got a team option this year. So, uh, Sam Presti, call up Phoenix. Tell him to pick up that team option on campaign and throw him in the trade. I, I guess I completely missed Josh Jackson going to Minnesota. Oh, it's because he's a complete bust. He's, he's, he has to be one of the worst draft picks in the Man. last five years. 
I mean, look, I, I'm still at the point, though, if I were the Thunder, because my immediate thought was, you know, what players have maybe not achieved anything there that I, I wouldn't mind giving a second run? Like, I, I, I would give Josh Jackson another chance. Now, you're not sure, giving up not? the farm for him, but, man, I liked him so much. He was that draft. Pretty, I, I, yeah, I mean, he, he fits that Thunderbolt for sure. Right. He's, he can't shoot. He's athletic and uh well, well, once again, it, you know, I think in the NBA draft, everybody views every lottery pick as a guy that's going to be like a franchise player. And I love Josh Jackson, but he was never a good enough shooter, in my opinion, to be a franchise player, to be a go-to yeah. guy that's going to win you games. I always thought he was just a, a high-end, like, two or three. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know what happened in that situation. And, and you know, some of these guys, I think, struggle with not being the star and struggle with taking a secondary role. And and maybe that's why they don't live up to the expectations. But his skill set and size still, to me, is appealing. And, and I would go get it. But anyway, that's beside the point because he's not in Phoenix anymore. Um, the two guys that I think are really appealing, but I can't imagine Phoenix wants to get rid of, Cam Johnson, we talked about this a year ago before the NBA draft. I thought this guy was going to be a steal because most people projected him as a second half of the first round draft pick. And I think the consensus was Phoenix overdrafted him as high as they did. And that was one of the picks that a lot of people made fun of because they drafted him a lot higher than people had projected him. But he was a guy that I thought was a perfect fit there. Uh, he's not a ball-dominant guy. He's a 6'8 shooter. And again, when, when Devin Booker is your star, you're not looking for ball-dominant players. You're not looking for somebody that you want to to become another star. You're looking for complimentary pieces. I thought he was a great complimentary piece to Devin Booker. And the same thing with Mikel Bridges uh, out of Villanova. I loved him coming out of college in, into the NBA draft. I, I think Mikel Bridges is probably untouchable. I can't imagine that they would want to move him. I mean, he again, nice complimentary player. 3 and D guy. Will play defense, spot-up shooter, doesn't have to be ball-dominant. Um, those two guys, I think, would be hard to get from Phoenix. But if you get one of the two, I, I think this is a success. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Cam Johnson would be great because he's got two years of team options after this coming season. So you would have him under uh, team control for the next three years. I, I just six don't... eight shooter, like everybody yeah. in the league needs six eight shooters. And it, look, it's time that the Thunder kind of, you know, and they uh, we saw signs of it last year. So last year was a great sign of them catching up with the the, the NBA style of play because they just they, it seemed I, I don't know if it was that they couldn't find the right guy or they just didn't make an effort to find the right guy because you know we saw guys come in that were quote unquote shooters that couldn't couldn't work it out in that offense I think a lot personally I think a lot of it had to do with Russell Westbrook and just the way that they ran the offense with him uh, that it didn't really uh, allow the shooters to do what shooters need to do and that's kind of roam the floor and get spacing and they just couldn't do that Russell Westbrook because everybody had to stand in one spot and wait for him to decide what he was going to do. Stay out of his way, right? Exactly. I mean, in the NBA, how the hell are you going to shoot, you know, a good three-point clip if you can't get any space because you have to stand in the corner and watch Russell Westbrook drive to the lane and pass it out at the last second maybe. So I think that's why we saw a better three-point shooting last year. The offense was a little bit more fluid. But uh, I'm, beside the point. Uh, yeah, I mean, you would love to get Cam Johnson or, or Bridges. I think that, that you're right. I, I think you're 100% right. They're not going to give up both of them. 
Uh, and it's still going to have to be a package center around Kelly Oubre and Ricky Rubio. Maybe you could get him to throw in uh, a Cam Johnson if you flip him back of a first-round pick uh, that like later down the decade that they got from Philadelphia. I think that that's that's a possibility, or Houston, or whoever they you know whatever pick you want to use. Uh, I, I think that's an option, but I, like I said, I just. I don't know that any of these dudes that they bring in in this trade are going to be on the team next year. I know Kelly Oubre's not. There's no way they're going to resign him after this year. If he does play out the full year, there's no way they resign him. And at that point, it's stupid not to trade him. Because what intentions do you have to keep Kelly Oubre in Oklahoma City? And Ricky Rubio, I mean, he's fine. I, I guess you can... They just don't really need a guard. I just don't understand. Like, why not flick Rip you? You're going to bring Ricky Rubio and trade Dennis Schroeder? Probably not. Just keep Schroeder for the year. No, I think so. Rubio would be in play to be moved somewhere else. But, I mean, you know, you've got to make money work. Or you know, and, and I would also say this. I absolutely believe draft picks are going to be involved in this if, if Phoenix is the destination. They have to be. I mean, this, the, the return from Phoenix just on those players isn't good enough. At this point, you're just trying to dump Chris Paul's salary. Right. Or do right by him and get him on another team that is in better position to win in my mind unless yeah I don't think so for Phoenix clearly DeAndre Ayton Devin Booker are untouchable I would also say Mikel Bridges if I were Phoenix would be pretty I would have to get a great deal to to move on from Mikel Bridges um and then Cam Johnson is a guy I wouldn't want to move but I I would in the right situation be willing to move him so those are the four guys that I think um are, t- are would be tough to get from Phoenix. If you're not getting Cam Johnson and he's at the bottom of that list, then I think it does involve draft picks. Again, Ricky Rubio, you bring him in, you're in the same position you were with three point guards. And and look, I, I don't think you want to sacrifice the development, especially of SGA, for Ricky Rubio. And and as far as Dennis Schroeder and, and Rubio, I mean, they're kind of in the same tier of NBA point guards. Like, I think they're both starting caliber point guards, but... You're not building a franchise around either guy, so it's it's no, maybe I, pick or choose in that situation. Kelly Oubre to me is is a I mean, as far as the player, a Sam Presti guy, one thousand percent. I mean, he is. I, I when you think of Sam Presti guys, there are dudes in the NBA that you can point to and say Sam Presti guy, and I think Kelly Oubre is exactly that. And if you bring in Kelly Oubre, I, I think you know, given the contract situation, that to me is another valuable trade piece in terms of of maybe sending him somewhere before a trade deadline to a contender that is looking for a piece to put them over the top. I mean, Kelly Oubre to me is like, look at the role that like Caldwell Pope, for instance, played for the Lakers. Like most championship teams need a guy like that, that may not be a star, but he's going to give you some big minutes and make some big plays on, on your, over the course of your, your title run. And Kelly Oubre is that kind of guy. Like I think he he's versatile as a defender, and he's not a great offensive player, but uh, he has enough offense that that I just think he's a really nice complimentary piece. Now, let me ask you this: do you, what are the what are the chances that Presti is having these conversations with Phoenix to get another team a little bit more desperate? That maybe he feels like he could get a better package from somebody else. Maybe it's a Philadelphia or or a Miami or somebody else that he's just. He has no intentions of bringing Kelly Oubre and Ricky Rubio, and really he just wants to uh, get another team a little bit more desperate because I just this package just does nothing for me. All it does is, like I said, just dumps the Chris Paul salary and maybe gets you a draft pick, but even then, I don't know that 
it's going to get you any draft picks that are of any value. <laughs> By the way, uh, I'll answer that in just a sec. Kendrick Perkins just now tweeted, the Thunder hired who? <laughs> good, good. I'm so, glad that our anyway. NBA experts are... Uh, yeah. Kendrick Perkins, completely... former member of the Oklahoma City Thunder, now NBA analyst for ESPN, has no idea who Mark Dagnold is, so... There you go. He um, should have been. He was here. The guy was he. He played for the guy, didn't he? I no, don't I think guess, he played guess, for well, him, guess, but he was in the organization the, guess, when Perk was here. Right. Mark was in the with the blue. Mark was with the blue. I think. Yeah. yeah so maybe Perk didn't. Mark was trying to develop Perk's replacement at that point. So. Yeah. Like Dakari well, Johnson, maybe. Yeah, I don't know how that went. Yeah. Um. No, look, I, I'm with you. I I think that. Uh, there's not a lot that's appealing from Phoenix. And so that's why I do think if it's a Phoenix deal that it's absolutely going to involve draft picks and that's the appeal. Again, just acquiring assets. And, you know, at some point, a lot like the Boston situation when they were rebuilding, they just had so many assets. And luckily for them, they hit on draft picks. But, uh, you know, it's somewhere along the way, those become valuable because you're trading them to move up in drafts or like you're not going to use all of those they just become part of the arsenal to to move up in scenarios and, and better your position most of the time. So uh, I don't think that uh, the draft picks are out of the question here. In fact, I, I absolutely believe that's probably the big part of this if the move to Phoenix is made. But, like, here's the bottom line, and this is what we have to explain about the Chris Paul situation to Thunder fans. It, would it be great for, for Thunder fans this season if Chris Paul comes back? Sure. Everybody wants to root for Chris Paul. He's a likable guy. The impact that he had a year ago on this team was tremendous. And, you know, if Chris Paul is back, yeah, the Thunder could could potentially be a four, five, six seed again. Like, that's, that's not out of the question. But I say could. I, I don't think they're going to be as good this year as they were last year. And they're not going to catch anybody by surprise this year like they did last year. But the point being... That's probably the ceiling. And you're talking about Chris Paul at some point, I think, wanting to be in a position where he can win a championship. And and again, I think Sam Presti is going to try and, and move Chris Paul if for no other reason. And he's not going to give him away, but he, I think he wants to keep the reputation that he has as far as being a player's GM and willing to work with players to, to put them in situations. And, and like I said, I, I think from day one, there was an agreement between Sam Presti and Chris Paul, that if, if you come in, you have a good attitude, you're the leader of this team, you teach these guys how to be professionals, and you give us everything you have, and you're the consummate pro, I'm going to do everything I can to, to put you in a good position when that opportunity arrives. So I think this is probably that opportunity. And again, Chris Paul gave that farewell speech after the season ended. But Chris Paul's 35 years old, and he's owed $38 million next season. If you're trading him to a contender, understanding all the, the trade rules, you're, pro you're not going to get a superstar back. That's just the bottom line. You're not getting a superstar back. So I think, A, this has to involve picks, regardless of where he goes. And B, you're going to have to just take a shot on a young player that maybe isn't established yet, but has some upside. Because nobody's going to give you Devin Booker or Donovan Mitchell, or Jamal Murray, or Tyler Hero, or somebody like that, even though Chris Paul is certainly a better player than what you're going to get for him, 
understanding how much money he's owed and the age, you're just not going to get his actual value. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Uh, I, I like the point that you made about Sam Presti trying to make this a player's organization because that's that has to be the selling point for the Thunder, especially yes. like in free agency and trades. Like you have nothing else to sell these players on other than the fact, like it's great as you know Oklahoma City is to the people that live here. To if you're from Los Angeles, Oklahoma City is not desirable in any way, shape, or form, especially if you're a millionaire and can live anywhere that you want. So. It has that. That's the selling point. That's what you build this entire organization on is the fact that you are a player first organization and everybody that comes through only has glowing things to say about this place and about playing for Sam Preston and playing for the Thunder organization and interacting with the fans. And I think that the last season from Chris Paul, the way that the Thunder handled it was the one of the best uh, campaign things or promotional uh, directives or whatever. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know business stuff, but you know what I'm saying? It was one of the, it was going to be beneficial down the road. I really believe because Chris Paul is highly respected amongst players, young and old in this league. And if he vouches for this organization and says that they're a great organization to play for, then other, other players are going to listen. And, uh, you know, we may move on from the Pau Gasol saying, Oh, there's not enough culture in Oklahoma city. I don't know why he's French. He's just a dirty, smoking, smelly French guy, I guess. Um, you know, it, it's funny. In Hollywood and movies, they cast people that clearly aren't the nationality that they're cast in. But, like, I I could see Pau Gasol playing a Frenchman in a Hollywood movie. Like, with oh, a long well, cigarette yeah, and using that accent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, oui, oui. Uh, you have no... You know, what is your theater? Uh, you are disgusting, Oklahoma City. Uh... Anyway, that also had I'm a little my, bit uh, of terror. Borat in it, by the way. I mean, it was French, <laughs> but there was there was like a, a small tinge of Borat. Well, you know me, my uh, my accents are like they're you can tell what they are, but they're not very good. It's one of my favorite things about you, to be honest. Right? Did I do like mediocre accents? It's one of my favorite things about me, honestly, too. I can't tell you how many times in the last week, just randomly around my house, I just said Ben Denucci. Being the Tabucci. Uh Well, you know, luckily you weren't saying it at all on Sunday. I wish I had been. That game was a little too close for my comfort. I, I guess that's a good point. Yeah. Is, uh, they may have not even sweated it out as far as losing that game if Danucci yeah. was starting. It might have been an easier Sunday. But, yeah, I don't know. I think that uh, – I, I thought that last year was going to be a, the blow-it-up year. I really did. I thought that Chris Paul and Gallinari were going to be gone by – by the trade deadline it didn't happen uh, and I, I don't think there was much harm done outside of not moving Gallo and getting something in return for him it, there was really no harm done by not moving any of those guys in the in right. the middle of the season but it's going to be it's going to be a tough uh, it's going to be a tough while for the Thunder fans the next few seasons are going to be tough but hey I mean Shea's fun uh, we'll see if he can really develop into being a franchise piece and a cornerstone and a guy that you could build around or if he's just going to be um, a good player. You know, he needs to be a little bit better if they're going to build around him and make him the guy moving forward. But yeah. the potential is for sure there. Let me throw this out about the CP3 trade as well um, because, you know, we talked about the Blake Griffin thing and the James Harden thing. 
I wonder how much NBA GMs are aware of those situations and consider bringing in Chris Paul if you already have. Like, I'll just use an example. If you're the Miami Heat and you already have a veteran leader and face of the franchise in Jimmy Butler, do you want to potentially bring in Chris Paul? Where, again, not saying that either guy is going to feud with the other, but I think, again, there is just a natural clash because Chris Paul is a veteran, he's been in the league longer, he's achieved more, he's a future Hall of Famer, and he's the point guard, which kind of in some way just gives him that like quarterback leadership quality versus Jimmy Butler, or a situation where you do go to a team that even though Devin Booker is the leader and the future, he's young enough that there would be a natural like deference to Chris Paul as, as that guy. So I think... So- if you're tr- you're trading him to a young team, but I think that team also, in some way, has to have their face be like a Devin Booker or maybe even a Giannis. I think Giannis is still young enough in the league and and isn't so like I'm the leader of this team type of personality where he couldn't defer to Chris Paul in some way. I I think that specifically speaking of Jimmy Butler, the way I would see that playing out is I think that they're very alike. And I think that would be great for their relationship at the beginning. But I think the more time they spend around each other, they would learn, just develop this loathing of each other. Like they would just be very passive aggressive towards one <laughs> another, uh, pretty much every practice. And like, there would be a lot of tension, but uh, I, I'm glad you brought up Giannis though, because I think that Chris Paul also fits pretty well in Milwaukee. I mean, Milwaukee needs to make, make a run this year. They need to do something to convince Giannis to stay. Otherwise yep. he's gone next year. Yeah. Like they are, they are desperately need to, I don't know if they need to win a title, but they need to get to the finals this year and they need to give Giannis some hope. And I don't know that Chris Paul is necessarily the guy that's going to keep him around. You know, he's not going to be there long-term obviously, but you make it to the finals or you, you know, win a championship. Maybe that helps Giannis stay and helps him, uh, feel a little bit more comfortable in Milwaukee and where the direction of the team is going. But yeah, Minnesota, I think Minnesota makes sense too. I think Minnesota could use a veteran guy oh, for like sure. Chris Paul. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're loaded with talent. Young talent is not lacking in Minnesota. Speaking but of just, Josh Jackson. Speaking of Josh Jackson, there you go. We've, we've worked it out. We'll get Josh Jackson back from Minnesota. And picks. Uh, and picks. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. Def- definitely some picks. But I, oh, I actually, you know what? I, I saw a rumor the other day. Uh, and it wasn't a Shams or a Woj tweet, but it was from a somewhat reputable source. I don't remember who it was. doesn't matter. But uh, I saw something that the Thunder might trade up number, to the number one pick to take LaMelo, which Ooh. right now in year one, I think they're like 25th or something in the draft this year. They're, are 20, they're in the 20s somewhere with the Thunder. But yeah. so this year isn't great for them as far as moving up, but they would obviously have to give up a handful of their future picks. Uh, I, I don't I mean, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the potential of the thunder? Would you do it? If you were the thunder, would you give up four draft first round picks to move up in this draft? Not in this draft. To the top three. No, not in this. Draft. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. I, it's, I don't think there's a sure thing this year that I would feel comfortable moving up into the, even into the top 10 or top five. I no. wouldn't give up any future. Picks I'm not to sure. Move up yeah. Here. I, Look, I, I I would be lying if I said I felt uh, like I am 
completely educated on the players in this draft, and and the NBA draft is a week from today. Next Wednesday, uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a lot of NBA draft talk and preview the NBA draft. Um, but I, I would just say, based on the amount of uh, education I do have on this draft, the players in this draft. Uh, it's not like I'm not familiar with them at all. Um, there is not a, a guy in this draft that I would say I, I just, I love. I mean, there's there's just not the, like, I was really high on, um, for example, like De'Aaron Fox, the year that he came out. I liked him a lot, and I certainly liked him better than, than Lonzo Ball. Um, or like Jason Tatum, for example. I thought he was the best player mm-hmm. in his draft, and he went third. Uh, there's there's just not that guy that I'm just like, I think he's going to be a future all-star. Like, I'm just convinced he's a future all-star. Like a year ago, I, I felt that way about uh, John Morant, and I felt that way about Zion, and I thought there were other really nice complimentary players that I didn't necessarily think were all-star caliber, but I thought were good picks in the top 10 for a team that had the right setup where... Uh, again, you know, sometimes you're not going after a star. Sometimes, depending on where you are and what's available, you're looking for a guy that can potentially be a, a 10-year, you know, starting rotation guy. Uh, and I thought there were more of those last year. That, I don't know, man. I'm I'm really lacking in this year's draft to find guys that I just, I absolutely love. And uh, we'll talk about this a, a week from now. But I, I, there's nobody that I'd be willing to to sacrifice a bunch of picks for. And certainly not at the number one overall pick. Yeah, the college guys definitely were hurt by there not being uh, an NCAA tournament this year because a guy like John Morant, I mean, people were aware of him. Like, draft people were aware of him, and he was going to be a top five, top ten pick regardless. But it was when Murray State made that run in the tournament last year that everybody was like, hang on, this dude is – this dude is on another level. Like this guy looks like he could step into the league right now and be an impact guy, and it turns out he could. And so guys like – well, I don't even know if Georgia would have made it, but I was going to say guys like Anthony Edwards, even though he's comfortably in the top two, top three, he could have really benefited from being there. Uh, James Wiseman dropped out in like December. So, I mean, he's he decided to throw the talent on the college season. Yeah, there's just – outside of those top three guys, because there was no tournament, there's just really a lack of uh, knowledge, I guess, unless you are deeply entrenched in college basketball. And if you are yeah. – and then I I think you're a psychopath, and I think that you just enjoy making yourself miserable because college basketball sucks. So, you know, I I'm not a big college basketball fan. Um, I I would say the regular season is very unappealing to me. The you know the the tournament is as good as it gets as far as sports entertainment, but the sport overall is is definitely lacking. I think for me, Anthony Edwards is the best player in this draft. And if I had the first pick and I weren't able to trade out of it, I think that's where I would go. I would also add this. I really do like James Wiseman. The problem is, I think in today's NBA, like a big man has almost become like a running back in football. It it just, it doesn't make sense to take a big man number one overall. Like, it wouldn't make sense to take a running back number one overall in the NFL. Like, it just... It, you can find so many big men at this point, especially at a bargain, because the league is just not run through big men anymore. So, while right. I mean, while they're still valuable, I'm not saying they're not valuable, I'm just saying, from a value standpoint, it would be really tough for me to take a big man in the top couple picks 
unless there's just nothing else available simply because there are so many big men that you can get in the late first round that you can take flyers on in the second round. Look at the NBA and look at the elite big men and how many of those guys were top-tier picks. And Most look at look at what the Lakers just did. They went and got Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee off the trash heap. Well, like, that's, that's the point. Yeah. If you can't space the floor as a big guy, I mean... You know, rim protectors are a dime a dozen in the NBA this at this point. And like you said, you could go get a guy on the league minimum or for, you know, a couple million dollars a year, and he can be a defensive guy and protect the rim just fine. Like, you know, the, right. the offensive talent in the backcourt is so, so great at this point in the NBA, and the floor spacing is so vital that you just – a big offensively, a big guy, if he can catch alley-oops and block some shots, that's all you need. Yeah. So I again I, I like Wiseman a lot. I just I, I it would be hard for me to take him there. I agree. I I probably wouldn't take him in the top five just because the skill set doesn't really translate to the value uh, at the top of the top of the um, at the top of the draft unless there is some potential that he could you know develop an outside shot. He didn't shoot outside at Memphis at all. But I don't know if that's just was a system thing or if it's because he can't. It's kind of hard to tell at this point because we didn't really get to watch him very much. He only played three games. Yeah, yeah. No, I well, I, I do. I like, I like the, the canvas. I guess. Like, I think there is still more there with him, and I think he's athletic enough and and all that good stuff to develop into a better player and a guy that that fits at the NBA level. But again, it just I, I don't see using a pick like that on him, whereas I think the upside with how much a perimeter player impacts your team, like I think you have to take the risk on a perimeter player and how they impact your team than, than a big guy. So, um, 100%. Yeah. It's, okay, so I asked you this last week. Is there for you a clear-cut best player in this draft? Uh... I, I I think I said last week that I think it's Lamelo. That I'm pretty confident it was Lamelo Ball. Yeah. I I watched. I I spent a little bit more time researching it. I still Lamelo is still one for me. Okay. Uh, I think that Anthony Edwards physically is a lot more gifted than Lamelo Ball, but uh, Anthony Edwards seems timid on the floor. And I think that if you are timid in college basketball in the SEC and you're not playing aggressive, like there is nobody that plays in the SEC. There may not be anybody else who plays in college basketball that is more athletic than Anthony Edwards uh, last season. And he just multiple times, I saw him in his tape just kind of pull up for a a tough jumper when he could have easily driven to the basket. He could have easily beaten this guy off the dribble. And I I don't know if it's because he's lazy and he just felt like he didn't need to against the competition or if he's uh, a gun shy. I don't know what it is. Yeah. But... I didn't see this co- the confidence and the aggressiveness from Anthony Edwards. I think you need in the NBA. Lamelo Ball, on the other hand, not as he's not as athletically gifted. His frame is not where it needs to be. He's too skinny, uh, and I think that's just a matter of a lot of basketball players don't lift weights until they get to the NBA. I think you get him into an NBA uh, training program, he's going to put some muscle on his frame. I mean, look at Trey Young. He's he was 120 pounds uh, when he left OU and quickly put on muscle. Uh, coming into the NBA. But, and LaMelo Ball's, look, his, his jump shot is pretty terrible. He's got that traditional ball family, quirky, <laughs> me- mechanically flawed jump shot, 
but he is uber confident in taking it. He can hit it from anywhere on the floor. And I think that in 2020 NBA, give me the guy that is full of confidence that can hit a three-pointer from anywhere on the floor. And I think that you can make the rest work. His defense sucks. Defense is um, terrible, yeah. Does he make players around him better? Like, he is a good passer. Like, don't get me – like, I think yes. there's a difference between being a good passer and making players better around you. I, I think he has tremendous passing skills, but I, I don't think his mentality is make the guys around him better. Like, he's a, he's a volume scorer, and part of my issue with him is I think, like, he could be – like, if he were on the Pistons, I think he's perennial, perennially like a 20-plus point scorer on a team that doesn't Easily, make the playoffs, yeah. right? Like, volume guy, going to score a bunch of points, but probably on a team that's not very good and he's not maximizing the players around him. So, I don't think so. I, and, and he has the complete opposite mindset of the way to play basketball as Lonzo does. Lonzo right, they're is... completely different players. Yeah, he Lonzo is a pass-first guy. He's a traditional point guard, in my opinion. Uh, Lamelo is more of a. I'm not saying I'm not going. I'm not saying he's as good as these guys, but just in the mold that he plays, he's a Trey Young and a Steph Curry type with a six-eight frame. So yeah. you love the size, and if he can be what those guys can be, or close to what those guys can be, then I think you're probably happy with him at the number one pick. And I just I love that he's an on the ball guard. Like he is a point guard who is going to have the ball in his hands the majority of the time. And if you're a team like uh, a Minnesota or Detroit, you desperately need a guy that is going to handle the ball every time up and down the court. And Anthony Edwards is he's he's a two guard. He's a more traditional two guard. He's like a Dwayne Wade and a, or a Donovan Mitchell yeah, sure. who's he's going to play off the ball a little bit more. And I just don't know if that has as much value in the NBA for bad teams as it did 20 years ago. I think that right now, if you're going to start, if you're a bad team, you need to start around the guy with the ball in his hands 90% of the yeah. time. Well, it depends what you have. Like, if you have a Trey Young, then you need a guy playing off the ball. If you don't yes, have absolutely. the guy on the ball, then, you know, you've got to go get that. But, like, I see I see LaMelo Ball, and I think he's like, if Sean Livingston and Trey Young were to be morphed into one player, like, that's who I think LaMelo Ball is. That's a pretty good comp. I've seen Sean <laughs> Livingston comps for LaMelo Ball, and I was like, really? But if you mold Has there been together, that out there? I've not, I've not seen a Sean Livingston comp for him. I have. I've okay. seen a, comp, a Sean Livingston comp, and I was like, I don't know. He seems a little bit different. But I, if you mold them with Trey Young or with yeah. a, a Well, LaMelo Ball is so much more dynamic offensively than Sean Livingston. Right. That's why I, I, if you add, like, if those two guys were morphed into one guy, Yes, 100%. Yeah. So the mock draft I'm looking at has LaMelo going two to Golden State. And just come on. I mean, it, if you want to play Golden State and have LaMelo Ball who can shoot from anywhere on the floor, Clay and Steph who can shoot from anywhere on the floor, good luck. Like, just good luck defending those dudes. And you got, I mean, I guess you hope that they miss. 75% of their shots that night because if they don't you're going to get destroyed I'll say this right now and if I'm wrong we'll we'll replay it and, and make fun of me but I, I see that being a terrible fit I mean it kind of just they, it's, they already have it it's not like that's a piece that they need they, they have they have that role on their team but I, I think if in this NBA, the more shooting you could add, you're only going to get better. Well, that's true. I, I guess. Okay, let me say it this way, because I I I can clarify this a little bit. 
if they draft him, I could absolutely see like when Steph sits down, LaMelo is your leading the the second unit and that would be a pretty good option to to lead your second unit. But are you going to use a pick that high on that guy? I don't think on the floor at the same time with Steph and Clay, he fits well. Like, is he going to move the ball really well within that offense? I feel like he needs the ball in his hands a lot. Are you going to take the ball away from Steph and Clay? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. And if, and, and if also, he adds no defense, which which Golden State has to yeah. have. I mean, that's they, they thrive on everybody putting forth maximum effort defensively. I, I will say, if Golden State drafts him there, I would not anticipate him being on the team uh, at the start of the season. It seems like a let's draft him at two and move him type situation. Uh, Giannis said that he's committed to Milwaukee this year, and I don't think Milwaukee wants to trade Giannis, but if Golden State has LaMelo Ball at two and offers him up and Andrew Wiggins and a couple of draft picks to Milwaukee for Giannis, I think that that's uh, probably a package that if you're Milwaukee, you at least seriously consider because... If I'm Milwaukee, I let the sink ship with Giannis walking out the door. There is no way that I am going to trade him for anything. I mean, a lot like the Thunder did with Kevin Durant, I am pushing all my chips to the middle of the table and just praying that I win that decision that he has to make as opposed to moving him and hoping that I made the right choice because I I don't want to be the guy that trades Giannis. I mean, I guess it depends really – Internally, where they how they how confident they are that they could convince Giannis to resign. Yeah, which I think that middle of the season you probably have a better understanding of where they're going to be. Right. Uh, as far as resigning, but well, here's yeah, the I thing: just, I, middle of the season, they're going to feel good about it because as the Bucks are constructed right now, like we talked about with Russell Westbrook a little bit, they're built to to just dominate regular season play. Right. But you get into the postseason, yeah. that's where you're going to see. That's where you see their struggles. And, you know, for the last, what, three years, they've just they've not adjusted anything. They're the same team, and it doesn't work in the postseason. Just like Russell Westbrook, what he does in the regular season is really good, but it doesn't translate into postseason success. Yeah. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I think that uh, there's just I, – I really don't know what to expect at this draft because, like, like you said, there's just no – there's no clear-cut number one guy. There's no DeAndre Ayton. There's no uh, there's no Carl Anthony Towns. Like, there's just no dude at the top of the draft that you just look at and you say, right, like this guy for sure is going to go number one. And if he stays healthy, he's going to be a good NBA player. There's just not, that guy doesn't exist in this draft. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. Um, looking at past drafts, like, you know, I was never sold on uh, on um, Markel Fultz. Yeah, I didn't get I th- that. I didn't understand that. I, I thought Jason Tatum was the best player in that draft, and he ended up going three to Boston. And there was a lot of there was a lot of conversation about whether Boston would trade up to get Jason Tatum, and they they landed him at three, which is still just mind blowing to me. But um, who went who went two? Lonzo Ball. Ah, that's right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then De'Aaron Fox hmm. went later in that lottery, which is crazy. Yeah, I thought he was not, the best point guard the in best that draft. Really. Yeah. Uh, Aiton was clear-cut number one. Zion was clear-cut number one. I, you know, the Carl Anthony Towns year, I think, was it Jalil Okafor that season that there was a lot of conversation about potentially, I think, leading up to the draft and then in the later stages, I think everybody kind of leaned toward Towns as being the guy. But um, Towns was, I think, clear-cut. 
Uh, I remember when Wiggins came out, there was a conversation between Wiggins and Jabari Parker being the number one overall pick. And then, you know, Wiggins, again, I think separated himself late in that process. The Anthony Bennett year was a complete (laughs) crapshoot, and I don't think anybody felt like there was a guaranteed number one guy. Uh, Kyrie was clearly the guy his year. John Wall was clearly the guy his year. Blake was clearly the guy his year. Derrick Rose was clearly the guy his year. Um, You know, Greg Oden was clearly the guy his year, although, you know, there was a lot of talk about Kevin Durant. But but I I don't think anybody was... Like, everybody thought Kevin Durant was going to be a really good player, but I don't think anybody thought we're taking Kevin Durant over Greg Oden. Yeah, you're completely. Portland was completely justified in taking Greg Oden. Yeah. If that, if those guys would have come out, you know, five or six years later, I think it would have been flipped, and Kevin Durant would have been clear cut. But I just, I don't think the NBA was ready yeah. for a six foot ten guy with his skill set. Right. Uh, coming into the NBA, it was you know Greg Oden was yeah. dominant in college. But so, people yeah, loved. Absolutely. My point was, people loved Durant and thought Durant was also a guaranteed pick, just not right. the number one guy. Oden was that, and then, but yeah, I mean, you look at the last. You know, 12 years, the majority of these drafts, there's been a guy that I think the consensus was, this is the guy, he is the number one pick. Oh, I, I, I skipped over Anthony Davis. Um, but the majority one, of these seasons, number. there has been a clear cut, this is the number one pick, this guy is a future all-star caliber player, and I just don't see that this season. It's it's not there. And, and like I said a few minutes ago, it hurts not having the tournament because the tournament could have been a situation where a guy like, you know, Anthony Edwards, uh, if Georgia made the tournament or James Wiseman, if he didn't sit out uh, after three games and throw the talent on college basketball, like it could have been a situation where those guys could have separated themselves and proven on a national stage that they are the clear cut number one guy, but we didn't get that. So we're going into this yeah. draft where no matter, no March madness, uh, you've got a guy who played professional basketball in Australia, which the Australian league is okay. I wouldn't say it's one of the top three or five leagues in the world, but it's okay. Uh, and then there is uh, Denny uh, Avdija. Uh, I'll learn how to say that after the draft, but the uh, <laughs> the the kid from Israel. Yeah. Like, you just really – it's a lot of unknowns because of COVID, I think, is why nobody has separated themselves. Yeah. And it doesn't help that Anthony Edwards had a ter- apparently his combine workout was terrible. Like, I-, I was reading earlier that multiple NBA teams were completely turned off by his workout, which they said was uh, sluggish, and his three point shot was terrible. Yeah, yeah, no, he uh, he's you know I, if you're drafting Anthony Edwards, you just have to ask yourself: Is the shot something that you think can be improved, or is it a lost cause? Because there are certainly guys that just haven't spent a lot of time improving their shot and then once they do they get better and there are some guys that they just don't have it it's you know they can't shoot they probably never will be able to shoot so that's kind of I think the key piece with Anthony Edwards and the evaluation there is do you think that his shot will come along as you know he gets in the gym and and it becomes his job to become a better shooter but I'm gonna uh I'm gonna give you a hot take this was probably one of the things I said back in the uh, at the radio station that got the most backlash from the co-host and I said it on a couple of shows I don't believe that the GM in the NBA I don't think it matters who your GM is when it comes to drafting I think that there is very little uh, skill to drafting in the NBA as far as who you pick and where you pick them 
because in my mind, the most important thing with a rookie or a guy coming to the NBA is their work ethic. And I don't think there is a realistic way that you can evaluate that pre-draft because you can look at guys like Jimmy Butler, like Donovan Mitchell, who were la- picked later in the draft. And like, what, what reason would they not have been picked in the top five? It's because you don't know what their work ethic's like or if they're going to put the effort in to get better. And outside of maybe Zion, who has a freak body gifted by the gods, who was NBA ready at 15 probably physically – I, I just I, I don't think that there's any way to really know like who knows LaMelo Ball may come into the NBA and just it's very likely he could come into the NBA and just be lazy and put no effort into the gym or watching film and it's a complete bust but meanwhile there's a guy picked at 50 like a Draymond Green yeah. who you watch on tape and it just doesn't make sense and you're like that this dude's not going to work in the NBA but it's the work ethic that makes the difference I I just Again, well, your point is valid with guys like Jimmy Butler, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis. I mean, those are guys that were all taken, you know, after 10, between 10 and 20. And all of them have the size. All of them had the athleticism. Uh, None of them were necessarily flashy players. But what separated all all those guys is what they did to to make themselves become great players once they were in the NBA. And there's just no way to evaluate what what a 19 or 20 year old kid is going to do when he becomes a millionaire. Is he still going to work hard to be the best player in the NBA, or is he just going to be fine being what he is? And there's been a lot of cases on both sides. Well, it's it's an interesting conversation to have. Uh, you know where your draft position is and what year you're drafting probably plays a little bit of a, a factor there, um, but. Yeah, sometimes it's it's also just who falls in your lap, right? Like, there was once, was it, uh, I'm trying to think, the Stephen Adams year. Was it Devin Booker that was taken immediately before Stephen Adams? No, I think Booker was oh. a couple years after Stephen. Uh, Giannis was a couple of picks before Stephen, or a couple of picks around Stephen. I don't know if he was before or after, but Giannis was in that draft. Um, I'm trying to remember who it was, that draft, NBA 2013 NBA draft. Let's see. Um, maybe it wasn't Stephen Adams. Maybe it was the campaign year. What year was campaign drafted? 2014, maybe. Uh, 2014 or 2015. I'm trying to trying to remember. This is where we do the do 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 do. By the way, RIP Alex. Alex. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, 2015. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2015. Campaign was that pick. And I remember at 14, Campaign was the pick. Devin Booker was a pick before him. And I remember as Devin Booker continued to slide because he was one of the players I loved in that draft. And I thought when they got to 10 and Devin Booker's still there and 11 and Devin Booker's still there and 12, Devin Booker's still there. Like part of this is luck. And I was like, Devin Booker is the pick. If he's available, like, this is a home run to get Devin Booker at 14. He's exactly what you want in the NBA. Like, he's a shooter. Now, he's developed into a lot more than just a shooter, but he was an elite shooter at Kentucky and good size, and it just, it made, that's exactly where the NBA was going at that point. He gets taken a pick before you, and Phoenix looks like they're brilliant, and Oklahoma City then takes campaign, and it's like, it had Booker fallen one more spot, you get Devin Booker, and you look like, the, the greatest genius in the history of the world. 
but you get campaign. I also, I will say this. I thought they should have taken Kelly Oubre at that point, uh, the year they took campaign, and they took campaign uh, instead of Kelly Oubre. Terry Rozier is there at 16, too. Yeah. Tough to pick campaign over Terry Rozier in hindsight. Yeah. Not good. But, yeah, I mean, part of it is also just, you know, luck and and what falls in your lap and... and, uh, I I think there's another perfect example of it's hard to evaluate these guys coming to the NBA because you don't know what their work ethic's like. Montrez Harrell was the 32nd pick in that draft with campaign. Yeah. I would say Montrez Harrell, and if it's redrafted, he's probably a top five pick, top 10 pick, easily top 10. Top 10 pick, for sure, yeah. Borderline top five. Yeah. But, I mean, again, you know, considering what... I know big guys weren't viewed the same way as they are now, but even then he was kind of considered an undersized big guy, right? Yeah. So this work, I mean, his work ethic is yeah. what sets him apart. I mean, Draymond Green, right? Yeah, 100%. So anyway, NBA draft a week from now. Uh, my, by the way, my Twitter timeline, after all this Oklahoma City stuff, is full of, like, I think we can officially start the clock on all the NBA trade rumors because there is a lot of NBA trade rumors being tweeted right now. And, and I'm not saying involving the Thunder. I'm saying league-wide. Like, it's... I think we're official, we've officially entered, like, NBA draft week and the trade rumor madness. I think there's going to be a good amount of trades because I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are setting themselves up for free agency next year with, with Giannis. Yeah, well, I well think- that and I think the unknown of what this draft is. Yeah, that's too. That too. Hell, I mean, there's an unknown about the season. But uh, look, I, you know what? I say that, and I, I might, I, I'm probably gonna take that back because I kind of thought that would be the case in the NFL with the limited. Although they did have a season, so there was at least more evaluation than there is with this. But I thought there might be more trades and and chaos. And in this year's NFL draft, there was less of that than ever. So, yeah, maybe I, the maybe the unknown element makes teams just kind of uh, a little skittish, a little skittish to make a move and just yeah. take the guy that they kind of think is the best player and and be done with it. You can see it. I mean, it's just it's going to be completely bizarre just in the the fact that the NBA draft is on yeah. November eighteenth. Yeah. Um, by the way, real GM Hawks emerge as potential trade partner for Drew Holiday. I don't hate that. That would be a great trade for Atlanta. Yeah, Drew doesn't have to play. Uh, Drew can play off ball. He can, you know, he can He's play on that ball. Way. And they, yeah. combo he, guard. Uh, they, yeah, so much versatility. Great defense. They desperately need some defense, and he's going to add it if they bring in Drew. A lot of a I, lot I like of NBA that. players view him as the best perimeter defender in the NBA. And and obviously Trey Young is elite offensively, but I, I don't think anybody views Trey as a great defender. So if you have <laughs> Trey offensively, and not that Drew Holiday is a bad offensive player, but if you have Trey offensively in the backcourt and then Drew to be able to lock up the other team's best perimeter guy, that's pretty there, nasty. There's, Yeah, I mean, there's no way that Trey will ever be a good defensive player. It's like... It's like playing p- basketball in your driveway with your dad and he's smoking a cigarette while he backs you down. Like there's right. just physically there's just nothing you can do. Right. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh but yeah, this is going to be fun. So Mark Dagnalt is now the head coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder. 
All right, yes or no? Yay. Chris Paul, still a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder, this time next week when we do the next podcast together. I think so. I think that, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that they're in any hurry to pull the trigger on this trade. The season doesn't start until, you know, camp doesn't start for another month and the season doesn't start for another month and a half. So, yeah, I don't think there's any rush to pull this trigger at all. I agree with you, but I will say I think it happens on this day next week. Happens on Wednesday. It happened at about 8.55 a.m. And I think it involves the number 10 pick in this year's draft, which belongs to the Phoenix. You think think they can get the 10 pick? I I think it involves the number 10 pick in this year's NBA draft. I will say, okay, Uh, as we, you know, wrap up this conversation – uh, I will. I'll, I'll, if, if the ten pick is involved in this year's draft, then the Thunder are sending future picks back to Phoenix. You think so? I think so. I don't okay. think Phoenix is giving up a top ten pick for Chris Paul. A ten pick this year, though. I don't think so. I think that I. I, just, I. I don't think a reasonable NBA front office would do that. But we are talking about Phoenix, so. Hell, who knows? They might give them the 10 pick, Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio, and like another first round pick. Oh, that would be a haul. Well, I'm just saying that they might do that because that's that's, the Phoenix signs. Like, I don't trust them to make smart front office decisions. I'm just saying, uh, spend the next week evaluating what you want the Thunder to do at the 10th pick next Wednesday night. Okay. All right. All right. I'll evaluate the <laughs> I'll evaluate the tenth pick and the twenty fifth pick. And we'll talk about how much input Mark Dagnall has on that selection. Uh, zero. <laughs> nah, I'm sure he's involved. Oh, good stuff. By the way, uh, I did see this. Uh, I'll give you this uh, from Royce Young. He tweeted this earlier. Uh, guess Billy Donovan and Mark Dagnall first met when. Uh, Dagnalt was scouting Bradley Beal. Yeah, by the way, we're going to have the conversation that Dignalt never had his uh, hand in the dirt. <laughs> Hiring nerds. We got nerds coaching our basketball team now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what Wait. if he becomes the next Nick Nurse, man? I, I mean, that's the hope, right? Yeah. I mean, you would hope that he's going to win you an NBA title. Yeah. Also from Royce Young, Royce is full of good stuff today. Uh, Nazi Muhammad and Nick Collison were active parts of the hiring process, meeting with the candidates to represent the player perspective and answer questions. Oh, man. They missed an easy opportunity to hire Nick Collison as the head coach. Right. That's Look, okay. they were staying in-house. I, I, I fully believe that. I mean, pull up the, the archives in this podcast. I've been saying for months uh, that this since Billy Donovan left for Chicago that it was going to be somebody that's already within the organization and uh, it was just a question of who so there you go Dagnalt is the man could have had Mark Jackson bullcrap yeah isn't it funny though that like the let me see if you you've heard this what is the biggest knock on Mark Jackson uh I I don't know I feel like there's something obvious that's kind of Okay, well, nobody like nobody in the organization liked him when he was in Golden State. Like, okay, nobody in the organization liked him. Like, it's not just a like like basketball team; it's front office. Like, 
everybody that he had interaction with from the players to the coaching staff to the front office, like he clashed with everybody. Well, there's that's a, there's a reason that he has he's been working for ESPN for a half a decade. Yeah. So it just again it it makes zero sense for Sam Presti to hire somebody that is labeled as tough to get along with. Like it, 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 if nobody else is going to hire him, Sam Presti sure isn't going to hire him. Sam Presti no. is more about I think that part of it than most people are. Right? Like, Sam Presti's more about what happens off the court than maybe most general managers are. So there's no way he's going to hire somebody that's I, yeah, hard, to, hard to deal with on a, on a day-to-day basis. Well, and they need somebody that, I mean, they are very aware of their image, and they have, like, this right. thunder image, and they are committed to upholding that thunder image, and you bringing a guy in internally that you know fits that mold makes way more sense yeah. than hiring a guy like Mark Jackson or Jeff Van Gundy as, you know, another ESPN guy, um, you know, any of those kind of out there personalities just aren't really, I mean, did you think Billy Donovan was a splash hire or did you think that was kind of a cop out? I, I think it kind of both, honestly. I mean, you have to like his resume, right? At Florida. Yeah. I mean, two time national champion, big name within the basketball, like within the basketball world, it was a big name. But he had never coached in the NBA, so I think it. I think there's a yes answer to both of those questions. Expectations weren't super high, as far as I mean, the t- team expectations were high because they had Kevin Durant and Russell right. Westbrook, and right. you know, sir, like they were stacked. But I think as far as expectations from Billy, even coming in with that team, I don't think they were super high. Well, that's that's I think that's, he, yeah, that's why the the answer is yes to both of those questions because if if that had just been a regular team that, you know, has a bunch of young players and isn't a, a playoff contender, then, I mean, there's a lot more celebration about that hire than it being a big name. So it was a splash because it was a big name, but also you're talking about a team that was immediately prepared to compete for an NBA championship with a guy that had never coached at this level. So, yeah. I think at that point, I think that in a team like that, like the coach plays very little role in how the game plays out. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to a degree. And and look, I, I think even in hindsight, most people say Billy Donovan was pretty good in that postseason run, right? Like, he got a lot of credit yeah. for uh, the strings that he pulled that postseason. Yeah, sometimes you just run into Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, and, I mean, there's just nothing you sometimes can do. Sometimes you just have a bad second half in a pretty pivotal game. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. All right, he is Aaron Davis joining me every Wednesday on the Colby Daniels podcast. Aaron, always appreciate it, my friend. Have a great week. All right, thanks for having me on. See you. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels podcast. Once again, big thanks to Aaron Davis for joining me today. A lot of Thunder talk. New head coach Mark Dagnalt for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Chris Paul trade rumors. Uh, I, I promise you this is not the end of the Chris Paul stuff. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about this for days to come. So uh, that'll be fun. And, and look, there are going to be, I'm sure, new rumors that emerge as far as Chris Paul goes. So we'll talk about all those scenarios and uh, much more as the NBA jumps right back in the spotlight. And it's kind of perfect timing considering the, the Sooners and, and the Cowboys both on a bye week before Bedlam. Perfect timing for Oklahoma City to jump right back in the spotlight and and get the headlines this week as the NBA draft is one week away. And uh, everybody kind of positions themselves to make this uh, – off-season run 
that is going to take place, I think, very quickly considering the start of the NBA season is right around the corner. So, again, big thanks to Aaron J Davis for joining me. Today's episode is brought to you by my good friends, Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out the website, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call, 405-458-9699. It's about educating yourself on what they have available and how it can benefit your life. They have an incredible line of natural medicine products that can make your life better every day. Uh, I'm a customer and I believe in what they do and what they have available and how it can potentially benefit you. So educate yourself, find out what they have and just talk to them. Uh, you know, they're, they're great people and they're more than willing to educate you as well. So abotanicalcompany.com or 405-458-9699. That is it for this episode of the Colby Dangerous Podcast. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning into the stream every day. And again, the audio version of this is available on all the podcast platforms. Have a great day. Stay safe. And I will talk to you soon. Podcast is over.